In order to retire successfully, you'll need vision. You'll also need a plan to execute that vision. Welcome to Retirement Pathfinder with Barbara Lane and Phil Gusky. On today's show, we'll give you the tools you need to navigate unique challenges you'll face in retirement. It's time to chart your financial future. Retirement Pathfinder starts now. Thanks for being with us on the Retirement Pathfinder once again. Walter Storholt here alongside Barbara Lane and Phil Gusky, the great team at Pathfinder Wealth Management. They are your retirement income planning specialists. Barbara and Phil, great to have you both with us this week. How are you? Good. Right, how you doing, Walter? We're doing real well, Walter. In fact, uh, I'll tell you what, it's, uh, you know, last time we talked about growing babies, now we're going to talk about growing gardens. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> I was out in the garden yesterday, and uh, I just noticed that the uh, just now the, the cucumbers and the cauliflower is starting to sprout usually oh, at this nice. time yeah at this time of the year it's they've all been harvested so we've had such a late growing season uh, i think some of our farmers are kind of worried um they put they had to put the uh, crops in at just a real short window and uh and there's a lot of fields out here in illinois that don't have anything in them because they they weren't able to get in there at that time and that's somewhat worrisome too much rain and then now too much rain early spring and then now not enough yeah yeah. So that means that the lo- that the corn that I love, corn on the cob, is probably going to be ten dollars a uh, dozen, huh? Oh yeah, it's going to be expensive. In fact, you'll see beans in the teens this year. <laughs> beans in the teens. I love it. Hey, any price is worth it for corn on the cob, though. I, can't, yeah, can't I agree. I agree. Uh, you mentioned cauliflower. That just got my stomach uh, grumbling here uh, or rumbling a little bit. It's uh, I, for the first time I had. I, I grew up on cauliflower. My dad loved this stuff for some reason, and so we we ate it. It seemed like three or four nights a week. It's good up. for you. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. And, I but I it. never had had cauliflower mashed. Well, it's not mashed potatoes, but mashed cauliflower to make it look like, you know, mashed potatoes mm-hmm. until just the other day. And it was delicious. I loved it. So it is good. They actually sell that frozen now. You know that. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, just cauliflower pieces. But um, oh, I actually made okay. a pizza crust with it. And I was a little hesitant because I thought it's going to be all mushy. And it was light and, and uh, you know, crispy. And it was very good. Really? A yes. cauliflower pizza crust. Yep. Interesting. Look at this. <laughs> Learning all sorts of. So that's probably what, like gluten, gluten free. Well, something that like probably that. is true too. You know, for yeah. people that have gluten issues, that would be a good idea. Yeah. Wow, that's very cool. I'm gonna have to look up some recipes and try that. Uh, yeah. Cauliflower crust pizza. Mm-hmm. We're getting all healthy on the show today. <laughs> Well, on today's program, we're going to be talking about some of the biggest financial myths. Did you ever watch the show MythBusters? Back in the day with the two guys oh, who just yeah. take all those different uh, you know, oh, random yes. myths that mm. people would submit to the show and they'd do the experiments and see if they could, you know, I don't think they the survived, myth. did they, Walter? I, I don't oh, know. Oh my gosh. Um, you you wouldn't you wouldn't think so with all the crazy things that they had to do. But no, I think they're both I think they're both still ticking <laughs> oh, and uh, and doing good. doing projects and stuff. Um, so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna play that role since they no longer I don't think they do the show anymore, or at least they passed it on to some other folks who now host the program. But we're gonna be some myth busters today, but we're gonna bust financial myths on this episode. So we'll throw out some of the myths that I'm willing to bet, if I were a betting man, uh, that you might be a believer in one of the myths that we're going to cover on today's show. Don't be afraid or don't be ashamed if you are. They're very common. There's a reason that these are common myths that are believed in the financial landscape. So we're going to try and set you straight on today's show. So Barbara and Phil, what's the first myth on our list? Yeah, let me launch off on the first one, Walter. It's shifting from stocks to bonds removes the volatility from your portfolio. I've heard that my whole life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, You know, and this kind of reminds me of the old saying that within every lie is a small element of truth. Um, You know, and the whole idea here is that people are going to get 
uh, at some point see the volatility of the stock market and pull out of the stocks and go into bonds, a supposedly safer place to be. Well, in fact, uh, we do hold bonds in our clients' portfolios, but the bonds are short-term, which is anywhere from one to three years in maturities, or intermediate-term, which are up to 10 years in maturities. Anything beyond that, uh, 10 years or, or longer, are super volatile, and uh, we don't uh, we steer clear of the long-term bonds. But the bonds that we hold in the portfolio are both government and corporate. They're domestic U.S. and international. You know, But why do we hold them? Are they going to be for higher returns? Well, obviously not, because uh, you know we uh, they, they don't get very high returns right now. You know, interest rates are down. They're going even lower. In fact, in Europe right now, you have to pay the bank to take your money. Their <laughs> negative returns is what they are, which is kind of amazing. Pay the bank to, to take your money. Well, not high returns, no, but it's really to offset the roller coaster ride of the stock market. So we always put this into the mix, into the recipe approach first. But the difference between what we do and what the myth here uh, implies is that we do not shift from stocks to bonds to avoid the volatility. That is a no-no. To do so is something known as market timing. In other words, we know when to take out of the market. We know when to put back into the market by guesswork. So uh, to be successful at market timing, you really have to be right in two positions in two ways. You have to be right in pulling the money out of the market, and then you have to be right in putting the money back into the market. So if you go by that particular strategy, that's going to be a consistent approach, and uh, the chances of you being correct is almost zero. Uh, the chances of, of you being correct and, and guessing when it's going to be correct is, is, is zero, when the best time is. So the biggest problem, though, with being out of the market, Walter, for any length of time, you know, while you're kind of waiting for the stock market to readjust or something like that, is missing those recoveries. And uh, there's a book called The Investment Answer by Dan Goldie, and he talks about being out of the market for anywhere from one day, being out of the, out of the best day. In other words, you missed the best day of the market because you were sitting on the side, either one first one bet one best day up to 25 best days you can lose anywhere from one to three percent of gain throughout your portfolio that is hundreds of thousands of dollars that you can lose by doing this approach called market timing so we don't recommend that you shift in the midstream like that and go from something you perceive as being more volatile to less volatile well and then you look at the history of long-term bonds and long-term oh, yes. bonds you yeah. know if we look back at 40 some years of history they're more volatile and they actually have more down years than stocks do but it's just the basics um, for investing you know stocks and bonds you've got your ancillary asset classes but when stocks are up bonds are down when bonds are up stocks are down so it's just a it's just a key to diversification yeah a lot of people don't realize also that if you have long-term bonds in the portfolio the risk is measured by something we call standard deviation or you know volatility one way or another, either plus or minus, it just about equals uh, stock. On, on those bonds. And so we want to make sure that people understand that, you know, you're, you're taking on the risk, but you're not getting anything in, in, in exchange for that risk. You're not getting any better returns. So why be there? And so uh, we don't recommend market time. We don't recommend going from a, a more volatile situation to less vol- volatile. And it's it's a fool's errand. It really is. So you can't outguess the market. The better thing to do is to stay the course and not miss those best days in the market. So then people say, well, geez, Barb, if I bought a long-term bond for 10 years, I'm going to get my money back at the end of 10 years. Well, you're going to get the money back at the end of 10 years, but now you got inflation risk oh, there you go. the entire time. Yeah. So it's, yeah. yeah, it's not a winning situation to just have one asset class in your portfolio ever. No, no, it certainly isn't. And that's why that's one of the biggest myths. But I think you're very alert there, Phil, as you said right at the beginning, that there's a little bit of truth buried in there. And that's what makes these things so believable and, uh, you know, and, and dangerous. 
dangerous in some accounts as people kind of take these things as gospel and put that forward in their financial plans when it's not necessarily the right course of action for them to take. And we'll notice that probably as a thread throughout each of these myths. So myth number one, busted, shifting from stocks to bonds doesn't necessarily remove volatility from your portfolio. It still comes with some risk involved in that equation for sure. Another myth that is often believed is once you're retired, life insurance is no longer necessary. What's the skinny on that one? Yeah, I'll take that one on too, Walter. And and I've been selling life insurance for over 40 years. And here is my ultimate goal. Are you ready for this? To To get my clients to drop their life insurance policies. Oh, okay. So say what? <laughs> from, from from the guy who's been selling it for yeah, five years. Yeah, my goal is to get them out of life insurance. Well, that sounds like a strange objective, but, but here's my reason for it. You know, the purpose of life insurance is to create an immediate estate if it doesn't already exist. So if we have breadwinners that die prematurely, how can the family make it through those tough times? But if the breadwinners do survive and they raise their family and they build a cash estate, it actually replaces the need for insurance and the policies can be dropped. Well, unless you enjoy, you know, putting retirement dollars into your life insurance agent's pocket, which is okay, I suppose. But now here's a couple of examples that I want to give uh, where, you know, there might be some variations to this particular concept. And uh, the first example is a retired couple age 70. Their home is paid off. They have no debt. They have a million dollars in investments. So they've they've you know gotten to the place where they've accumulated their nest egg. Uh, they've been paying $2,000 per year, however, for $100,000 of life insurance for many years. So the question is, do they really need to keep it? Well, probably not. Why? Because their estate is already created and the liability is gone. That need for life insurance to replace that estate is no longer existent. So think of it this way. Let's say that you sold your car. Would you want to keep auto insurance in place? Probably not. You'd want to drop that as well. The second example is uh, retired Farmer Jones and his wife. They're age 65 and the kids are running the farm. And uh, in fact, we have a daughter in there too. A lot of, a lot of gals are getting into the farming. That's, that's a good thing, right? And so the kids are running the farm and the land that they're sitting on is debt-free it's worth $3 million. And that's not unusual in the Midwest, Walter. We have a lot of people that have large farms, you know, with the price being anywhere from $8,000 to maybe $12,000 per acre. It doesn't take long for it to, to kind of pile up. But here's the deal. They have recurring loans on their equipment of a half a million bucks, $500,000. They also have $300,000 in savings at the bank. So should they continue paying for their $200,000 life insurance policy? Well, I would bet that their banker would probably say yes and require it. Why? Well, because number one, uh, the land is not liquid. They can't turn around and sell it to pay off uh, you know, the equipment uh, if something were to happen to mom and dad. And so they have to keep this particular $200,000 life insurance policy on to address that liability. So there might be some good reasons why life insurance may be necessary even after retirement. When you stop working, the liability doesn't necessarily go away. But my particular premise on this is that the primary purpose for life insurance is to create an immediate estate. All right. Well, I, you know, I'll, I'll give those examples to you. Those are good examples, by the way. And um, I'm going to have a little bit of a different take on it. All right. So I have life insurance right now and a couple of clients that are retired and they both want to pass on as much tax-free wealth as possible to their children and their grandchildren. And they don't need all of their income. So one client is going to contribute to a plan for about five years. And another client is going to fund their plan for 10 years. And they're just a couple years away from about uh, 70 and a half. So then we're going to take at that time those required distributions, pay the tax, and continue funding the policy, but only up to 10 years. You don't have to fund life insurance your whole life. But those are just some advanced strategies, and and they aren't for everyone. Oh, so what you're saying there, Barbara, 
is that that's primarily a tax strategy. In other words, if they're passing tax yes. dollars down to their kids, one of the ways they can get around that is by replacing them with the life insurance. Yes, which is tax-free. Sure, yep. sure. There might be some of those considerations along the way, Walter. Interesting considerations for sure. So again, another uh, myth that needs to be clarified. Once you're retired, life insurance is no longer necessary. That's a myth to make that a blanket statement for a lot of people, but it comes with some 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 real clarifications there Absolutely. that you need for your individual situation. Yeah, it's very not cool. one size fits all. That's for sure. Uh, also on our list of biggest financial myths that need some busting, uh, you're going to need less income when you retire uh, than you need while you're working. So you can kind of plan on just you know spending a lot less in retirement. That should make the equation a lot easier. I've heard a lot of people profess this. Well, let me take. I'm going to talk about that, Walter, and then the the myth that's you'll probably be in a lower tax bracket once you retire. So let me talk about the first question: Are you able to do all the things that you wanted to do during your working years? Well, for most people, that's a no because you're working. So yes, you're not going to be driving to work. You possibly won't be buying clothes, work clothes anymore. But as far as food, the meals are the same. You won't be contributing to a retirement account, but you're certainly going to have health care costs. And now you have 24 hours that you didn't have before. So what would you like to do with it? Do you have hobbies? You want to travel? You want to visit the grandkids? Many things do cost money to do. The, the question is, what are your retirement goals? So when you're getting ready to retire, talk to your spouse about your retirement. It's such an important <clears throat> excuse me, consideration when you figure that the both of you together could be spending a third of your years in retirement. And the being in a lower tax bracket, that, the reason that that is such a myth is you, you may start out in a lower tax bracket, but then consider Social Security, your pensions. At age 70 and a half, you're going to have required minimum distributions. So do you think taxes will increase or decrease? We believe taxes will be increasing. Although it's never been a problem solver with our national debt, increasing taxes is always on the table in mm. Congress. So if you just ask one of our elected officials, according to her, we don't have a national debt problem. We have $23 trillion in qualified plans that have yet to be taxed. So I don't think taxes will decrease. And currently, this tax reduction plan from President Trump is set to expire in five years. So you may start out in a lower tax bracket during your working than, than during your working years, but Congress can change all that. Yeah, again, I, I want to emphasize something else that's really important here, too, is the fact that we need to consider the monster under that bed again, which is the bugaboo inflation. And inflation, of course, uh, I consider that a cost. People are really, really scared of the stock market at times. But, you know, they don't take in consideration that inflation is a guaranteed loss to them. It's a cost to them. The same with taxes. Now, we can control taxes to a certain amount by our planning methods, but inflation is going to be with us and there's very little we can do to really offset inflation. It's just there. So when we calculate these particular taxes and we calculate the income needs as people retire, we want to make sure, Barb, that inflation is factored in there, make sure that they are increasing their particular uh, distributions out of their qualified plans as they go. That's something we build into the plan model, and that way we cover those costs as they increase along the way. You know, there's so much more, so many more considerations besides just return. Return is important, certainly return is, and uh, volatility in retirement is very important. But it's not everything; it's just part of the plan. It, it has to be, you know. And mm -hmm. I just remember my dad and mom talking about when they bought a Coke when they were kids for a nickel. Oh, I you think know. it was a quarter, if I remember. <laughs> was it a quarter when we were kids? And then you could take the bottle back and get a two-cent deposit back or and, something like that? And it like was that. a glass one. The Coca-Cola yeah. one was a glass. And it yeah. was a small one. Yeah. Remember, it was 
<laughs> yeah, and you can buy some bubble gum with it. You know, that was that was the cool thing. So we'd go up and down the street and collect bottles. You know, yes, but you know, so did we. You know, so I, I don't know not what it's called now. Yeah, not anymore. It's it's a buck or something like that, or seventy five cents. Who knows what it is? But it's going to be more expensive as time goes on, not less expensive. That's why inflation is important to consider. So those two are definitely linked when it comes to income and taxes. Uh, it's all part of the same story, as is analyzing that mix or that balance in your portfolio. And like we talked about with the life insurance considerations, and, and really this is just scratching the surface of myths that are often believed in the financial world. We just were covering some of the big ones on today's show. So did you identify with one of those? Had you always had that belief that sort of, yeah, get out of stocks and into bonds. Retirement's that simple. That's what you need to do. Is that truly the right answer for you? Well, today maybe should have brought up some doubts if you've believed in that myth before or taken it at its face value. Um, hopefully these things spark some ideas in your mind. If you want to talk them out with a planner here in the Rockford area and you uh, have enjoyed kind of the shows that we've been doing here with Phil Gusky and Barbara Lane and the team at Pathfinder Wealth Management, here's the way to get in touch if you want to address some of your particular issues. You don't have to come join us on the podcast on the show here. You can have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with the team. 815-399-9806 is the number to give a call to. 815-399-9806, or you can find the team online by going to pathfinderwealth.com. Get in touch there. That's pathfinderwealth.com. And you can also listen to past episodes of the podcast there. We release two new episodes every single month, so there's always great content and education on the way for you to tap into. Pathfinderwealth.com, the place to go. Barbara and Phil, always great chatting with you. Thanks for taking the time out to join us once again, and we'll have another show on tap next time around. Okay, thanks, great, Walter. Walter. Thank you. That's Phil Gusky and Barbara Lane. I'm Walter Storholt. Thanks for taking the time to join us. We'll talk to you soon back here on the Retirement Pathfinder. Information is for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute tax, investment, or legal advice. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action.